Thanks for joining us on the Oasis Church Podcast. To find out more about Oasis, visit CelebrateTheJourney.org. During this episode, Pastor Dennis Ritchie shares a great message that will lead you to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ. So open up a Bible, grab a notebook, or simply listen along. Father, thank you for the, the gift of children. And thank you so many of them run around here, uh, crawl around here. I pray that you would continue to bless. Bless this generation coming up. God, they need it. They need your word. They need your strength. They need your spirit that they, as an entire generation, can be light in the darkness that feels like it's just perpetually attacking. Lord, this morning I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. So, you know, as you serve in ministry... Uh, there are um, a range of emotions that, that come with that. Um, and, and so when you have these like successes in, in the ministry, you can have these certain um, feelings. And, and it's like really a gift of God when, when, when you just look at something that God has led you to and you, uh, you engage it, you work hard at it. And there's, there's that mountaintop experience. But on the flip side of that, ministry can be very challenging. And it can be challenging at any level. Just talk to children's church teachers and talk to our nursery workers. Though they, they um, love what they do, I think. Um, but they, it's, it's a challenging to be in that room with 20 uh, little kids running around. And so as we just, any ministry you're involved in, you, you go, you, it ebbs and flows, and you have these, again, mountaintop experiences, and then you have those times where um, it brings you down into the valley. And when things are going well, it can, you can have this sense of like, wow, God is really with me. Like he's blessing what I'm doing, and, and, and he's giving me success. And on the flip side of that, sometimes when things aren't going well, when we feel like um, we've failed or are failing in ministry— in whatever ministry God has called you to, it can feel like God has just kind of turned away from us and went somewhere else. And that's actually not necessarily the truth. In the challenges and the difficulties, God can be as present as he is on those mountaintop experiences of success. Now, last we left Paul and Barnabas, They are riding high from a big ministry win in Jerusalem. Remember that uh, some of the the Jewish leaders, they came and they said, listen, these these Gentiles, they need to be circumcised and they have to follow Jewish law. Basically, they wanted them to convert, these Gentiles, to convert to Judaism for the sake of following Jesus and their salvation. So Paul and Barnabas and some other leaders, they head back and they discuss it with Peter and James. And what had come from that was, no, they do not have to engage in being um, a Jew. They do not have to convert to to Judaism. And, And this is a big win. 
Uh, this is a big deal. And so they, they leave kind of riding high, like they have been, um, they, they win. They, they've won this one for the Lord. And so they decide to kind of retrace their steps and go back to uh, the churches that the Lord has established through them, go back to uh, visit the believers that the Lord has brought to, um, brought to the faith in Jesus Christ through them. Paul was always one for um, uh, correcting uh, false doctrine to, to young or, or new believers. And so I'm sure as he's traveling from place to place with Barnabas, he's, he's teaching about the grace of God, that the grace isn't just this thing that, that forgives our sin, but it empowers us to live the way God has called us to live. And I'm sure that he's, he's um, establishing leaders and he's training those leaders in the church. And what we see in this whole idea of him revisiting him, uh, he and Barnabas and their, and their teaching and their, their uh, encouraging the church that it's just not enough to come alongside someone and get them to say some prayer. Yes, I believe in Jesus and say, hey, good luck with that. I'm off to the next person. There has to be follow-up discipleship to teach and to bring them into a full understanding of who Christ is and who we are in Christ. And that's what I believe Paul has begun to establish, this, um, this philosophy, this rhythm woo, of, of doing discipleship. Now, they're so excited about this, they're ready to take off on another trip. But this one, the second trip is it's going to have a little bit of a different feel to it. It's, it's not going to quite start out the way that maybe they expected it to start out. It's going to reset Paul a little bit, redirect his ministry. Redire- um, it's going to bring him people, different people to travel with. But yet through this all, the movement from the mountaintop to a bit of a valley, God is going to use. See, it's not always his plan that we stay on the mountaintop. Sometimes he will bring us into the valley. And it's in the valley, that's where the fertile soil for growth is. And so, Acts chapter 15. Sometime later, Paul and Barnabas, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now, they've worked very well together up until this point. Uh, Barnabas, he's got this pastor's heart in him. He's an encourager. He comes alongside people. He, he embraces them. He makes them feel welcome. He makes them feel important. And Paul, on the flip side of that, he has the sharp intellect, the analytical mind. He can debate with the best of them and, and he, he, could, he can preach the word of God, connecting all of the Old Testament to say, this, all of this points us to Jesus. Like, I, I think sometimes like, I get up here um, when I come and, and when, I pre- when I'm preaching, and I take this and I study it, and I try to figure out to the best of my ability what God wants to say for his church Paul wrote this like, like it was a direct download from God, a revelation that he was getting. And that's the kind of mind Paul had. He was pointing everyone to Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Now, I can imagine that what is about to happen, they would have never 
expected to happen to these two very godly, godly men. Now Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Now, we don't quite understand or, or know why Mark or John Mark um, left Barnabas and Paul when, when he did. We can only speculate, and it may be the ups and downs, the challenges of being on the mission fields. The, the, the ups and the downs and the, and the constant moving and traveling and being in a foreign place and even coming against opposition and persecution. Maybe it was a little too much for him. Maybe he was just a little bit homesick and he just wanted to go back home where things kind of would be comfortable and have died down a little bit and he can just do life like he used to do life. Maybe, maybe he was a little bit aggravated because, remember, Barnabas was kind of the leader, but as Paul, more time Paul was spending with Barnabas, this, this leadership was shifting a little bit, and Paul was going to be taking the lead. Maybe, maybe John Mark just really didn't care for that. I mean, Barnabas and uh, Mark here, they were, they were cousins, and so they, they were connected in family. But whatever the reason, it seems that Barnabas had seen things differently. Maybe he saw in John Mark uh, that he, he changed. Maybe he was maturing and this guy wanted a second chance. And he obviously didn't like the way Paul was talking about his cousin because they had a bit of a tiff. The Bible would say that they had a sharp disagreement. In the original language, that's, it, it, it's a, has the meaning of violent actions or emotions. So this was a heated argument. This was a not good friendship ending disagreements. And I think sometimes, like, who was to blame? Whose fault was it? The scripture is is silent on it. But, you know, you can't really blame Barnabas for wanting to give his cousin a second chance. And you can't really blame Paul for for understanding the importance of what they're doing and, and not wanting to waste time with John Mark and taking him and risk risk the, um, the opportunity that he might desert them again. We'll read in verse 40 that the only thing we get is the church seems to side with, with Paul. I guess we're just going to have to leave it at that. So here we have these two guys, Paul and Barnabas. Basically, they've started the church, the Gentile church. So this is a big deal that they don't agree. This is a big deal that they are at the point in their friendship where not only are they separating, but they're separating with hostility towards each other. This ministry partnership is going to be over. And and this just shows me that even the godliest of Christians, men and women, can and will disagree. We have denominations in the church because people disagree on how to interpret the scripture. The Bible has been, I mean, um, Christians, the church have been arguing over the Bible ever since the Bible was compiled and put together. 
And so the question is not if we disagree. The question is, what do we do when we disagree? Paul and Barnabas, they're going their separate ways. They have become so frustrated with each other. They split up. They're taking different people with them, and they're moving on. But yet, in that, we know that God is going to use this instance for good. He's going to use their stubbornness, their unwillingness to compromise for good. But as I'm churning this and marinating in, this, in, this, in my brain, is this what God would want for his church? Does God want sharp disagreements that cause people to unfriend each other, I mean beyond Facebook, unfriend each other and move their separate ways? And I'm going to have to say and land on, no, that's not what God wants for the church. That's not what God wants for his people. And yet I have seen it time and time again. People don't like this, and so they leave the church people don't agree with that and so they leave the church i'm just not feeling it anymore they leave the church i'm no longer being fed here they leave the church and so in christianity and church world we have this flow that just kind of moves around and and it's it's every church believe me when i tell you but if you are in the scripture and you read the Bible, you will see that there is verse after verse after verse after verse about God calling his people to a place of unity, to a place of togetherness. The word of God warns about uh, taking part in stupid arguments over words. That's in the scripture. Stupid arguments over words that lead to quarrels. The word of God says, stop it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, the, ha- the last half of that chapter, talks about just, just stop getting involved in things that lead nowhere. Then you have like 1 Corinthians 1 where Paul says, uh, says to the church, be perfectly united in your brain, in your minds. Ephesians 4, Paul talks about how God has given um, apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers all these offices for the church, in the church, for the reason of building the body until we all reach the unity of faith. John chapter 17 of his gospel, Jesus is talking about how he and the Father are one, and his desire is that Jesus and the church and we all would be united and we would be one in the Father. The Bible is filled with this idea of God's people being like-minded, humble, and united. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says that, that God is bringing to unity all things in heaven and earth under Christ. Now, I have, um, I have no sociological evidence for what I'm about to say, but it feels to me that... Christianity is one of the most fragmented faiths there is. Like we have the one true God. We have Father, Son, Spirit in perfect unity. One. One God. And then I look at the condition of the church today. And I think, my goodness, we're missing something. 
as many of you know or might know that uh, every Wednesday morning, uh, I meet with a group of pastors. We pray for each other. We uh, talk about stuff. In fact, this month of October, I'm hosting at our church. So we go from church to church each, each month. And we, we just, we've become friends. And in this group of about 11 or 12 different churches, we don't all share the same functional beliefs of church, of leadership structures, of some, uh, there's doctrines that we all don't agree upon. But here's what we all agree upon. We love Jesus, and we are focused on the unity of the body of Christ within its diversity. See, for this group of, of people that I meet with, it's not about the church. It's not about, hey, um, this is what we're doing. This is how many people I have. This is how many people, oh, you, you, your numbers are down, huh? I went to this college. You went to that college. It has nothing to do with that. It has, nothing to, it has very little, I should say, to do with the church and everything to do about the kingdom of God and the church's place in it. That's the focus. And from my understanding and from... Um, through the past couple of years of kind of chatting and talking to other people, what we have in this group is very rare. That we have become a group of friends, that we pray for each other, we know what goes on in each other's lives, we know the struggles, we know the ups and the downs of, of each other's ministries. But I, I digress with that. A little rabbit trail there, sorry. Okay. Um, Acts 15, Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria, Cecilia, Cecilia, yeah, that place, strengthening the churches. So what I'm sure seemed unthinkable to these guys, maybe, maybe a few days earlier, has happened. The ministry friendship has come to an end, and these guys split up, angry with each other. In fact, this will be the last mention in the book of Acts where Luke um, talks about Barnabas. For Barnabas, he's losing contact with probably one of the greatest servants of God in history, and that's Paul. And for Paul, he's losing a friendship with a guy he owes a lot to. Remember, Barnabas went to bat when the whole church said, we're not going to trust this guy, Paul, because he was like killing people, arresting people. Barnabas said, no, no, I see a change in him. So Paul really owes a lot of his ministry to Barnabas. Now, I'm sure as, as uh, Barnabas and Mark, they, they sailed away. They, they, they probably sailed into fruitful ministry. I'm hoping, I'm speculating, we really don't know. But what we do know is they've kind of sailed out of, out of the pages of, of history. These two great men of God failed. It doesn't say in the scripture that, you know, they separated by saying, hey, you know, it seems good to my spirit and good to the Holy Spirit that we should go on our separate ways and do our own thing. No, no, no. They, they split up. This is a relational failure by two heavy hitters in the faith. They, uh, they had a stubbornness in them, maybe. They, uh, there was a lack of compromise. I'm not sure how that would look, but I'm sure something could have been done if one was willing to give and the other was willing to give. I wonder if Paul is reminiscing about this whole experience with Barnabas 
when he writes to the Roman church in Acts cha- or I'm sorry, in Romans chapter 8 when he says, "In all things God works for good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose." That God can even use this, the um, the falling apart, the ending of a very powerful relationship that God is going to use it still for good. For the good of those according that have been called according to God's purposes. Well, we know Paul went on to very fruitful ministry. He, uh, he wrote a lot of the New Testament, a lot of the letters that we study and read. Paul writes as he's going and the Holy Spirit is working through him and he's planting churches and, and he's presenting the gospel and people are turning, turning to Jesus, turning out of paganism, turning out of, 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 um, uh, of just hollow worship of gods, turning to the one true God. We know that he's going to meet Timothy on this trip and Timothy would become like a son to him. Silas would bring a, a different kind of uh, mix to the group. That's who Paul was traveling with originally. Silas was a Roman citizen. He probably spoke Greek. The scripture tells us that he was a prophet, so he operated in, in the prophetic. But I think what this really kind of hit home for me was the way that God deals with our imperfections, the way that God deals even with our sin, the way that God deals with our mistakes and our failures. Because many times, it's through our difficulties. Many times, it's even through failure that God will lead us to a place of even greater impact if we let him, if we will turn to him, if we will repent of me, my, I, and look to Christ and Christ alone. He's very good at reconciliation and restoring and enlarging the size of our kingdom footprint. Oasis Church, this church was birthed out of a very difficult season of ministry for me. Where I almost quit. I did quit. Um, but it's like the mob. They just reel you back in, that God of ours. <laughs> I'm sure that there's other stories right in this room, right in this room where, where um, God has taken something broken, some, some type of uh, misstep or failure, and he has transformed it into something sacred and beautiful. That's the God of reconciliation. That's the God of redemption. That's the God of making all things new. I'm wondering... There's, there's this thing I, was, uh, I, I knew about, and I did a little research this week. Um, there's this Japanese uh, tradition called kintsugi. You have to say kintsugi. Kintsugi, that's, that's what a Japanese uh, you know, accent. Uh, and, and what, what they do is they take broken pieces of pottery, so they have something that is broken, and they repair it, but the glue that they use or the adhesive they use, they mix it with, with gold. And, and they put this all back together again. And you can see where this pottery was cracked because the gold 
in the adhesive highlights it. And sometimes, sometimes that, that piece of pottery looks even prettier, more beautiful than it did before it was broken and cracked. But there are um, some philosophical, Japanese philosophical leanings that um, are part of why that tradition takes hold. Now, now, please hear me. I'm not saying you should go and embrace Japanese philosophical leanings. Um, but what I see in what they're trying to achieve in there is very much like what God does for us. So, so the first um, philosophy that they engage is something called wabi-sabi. I kid you not. Um, I have no idea if that's the right way to pronounce it. My Japanese is a little rusty. But what that philosophy says is that we are going to see beauty in that which is flawed or imperfect. And then the next is something called, I have no idea, but anyway, it's, it expresses regret. It expresses regret when something is wasted. And then the last, it's called mushin. Um, it's the acceptance that things have changed. Things look different. And I, and I thought about that in, in relation to how God desires to use his church, how God desires to use us in our brokenness, in our failure, in our imperfections. I mean, it's not brokenness that he wants. He doesn't want us to, to have difficulty. He doesn't want us to, to fail at things. We know that that's just part of humanity now. Genesis chapter 3, when sin came into the world and just kind of blew this thing apart, we have to deal with the brokenness that sin has brought upon us. But we have Christ who wants to put those things that have been broken back together. And so with God, following Jesus, God can use our brokenness for his kingdom. For his kingdom's sake, he can take Dennis, broken, tattooed, bald, and use me for his kingdom. And if he can use me, my goodness, you've got a much better shot than I had. So there's this, I want you to hear this. There is a sacred beauty in each and every person here in the midst of the messiness of your life, in the midst of the flaws that you have. See, when you come to him for your healing, (laughs) he will make beautiful what once may have been very, very ugly. You know, sometimes I like to forget my oopses, my, my failures, the messiness of life, or even the mistakes that I've made. I just kind of, you know, we, we say, you got to put those things behind you. And, and, and that's true, because when God forgives, when you repent and you go to the Lord, and he, he just kind of, uh, you go to him and say, man, I, God, I messed up again. He forgives, and he, like, he doesn't remember your sin anymore. Your sin is no longer held against you because of Christ on the cross. Faith in Jesus Christ, his work on the cross, faith that he was raised from the dead by the Father, your sins have been forgiven. You have been, you have repented. But, I think there's times when we as people can waste what he wants to do in us or to us or, or through us through the 
those mistakes, through those flaws, through our, our shortcomings. See, I, I say this over and over again, and I hope that this is not going to be something new that you've heard, but I believe that when you are in Christ, the only failure is a failure to learn because God can redeem and restore everything. And that learning process, it could be, man, I'll never do that again. Boom, you've learned. You've learned. And to run away from our mistakes, to hide from God, to not allow him to... um, not allow him the chance to redeem us, to, to put us back together again, and to teach us from those things that we have failed at, even our own sin, that he could teach us and restore us from our sin. Man, if, if we run away from that, we have wasted that experience of pain and frustration and, and aggravation, all of it. I mean, you've experienced it. Don't waste it. Turn to him in it. He can redeem it. Remember, that all things work for good. And as frustrating to me at times that that verse is, it's still the word of God. And the word of God is true and amen. And it's living. So all things work for good for those who love him. And as we press into God, as we press into the Lord by the power of the Spirit, if we allow him, he will change us. He will make right what is wrong. Psalm 51 is one of my favorite psalms. Um, And it's David writing, uh, so Nathan the prophet comes to David and he calls him out for the incident with Bathsheba. Uh, So uh, David makes a really big mistake. He has an affair with a married woman. He... Um, she gets pregnant. He has her husband killed. And Nathan goes to him and calls him out. And so this Psalm 51, the whole Psalm is him taking ownership of his sin. Him, ta- him taking ownership of his flawed, flawed um, what he was thinking about. Uh, taking ownership for the mess that he made in people's lives. Verse 10, he writes, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He's he's saying, what he's saying is, God, I messed up. I messed up big and I'm broken, but here I am. I'm not going to run from you. I'm going to run to you. Change me. Clean this mess up like only you can. Not only is he looking for forgiveness, he's looking for God to make that change, like the inside change, the heart change, the soul change. He's seeking it. He's looking for it. He's not going to waste. He's not going to waste his sin. He's going to go to the Lord and be restored. And we know that David continued. This was a man after God's own heart. He messed up that big. He says in the psalm, change me and I'll teach the people your ways. Change me, I'll worship you. Change me, I will declare your praise to all the nations, all the people. In a culture of um, religious sacrifice, burnt offerings, 
for the forgiveness of sin, David comes before God in this psalm and says, my sacrifice, my sacrifice is me. It's, it's uh, my broken spirit. It's my broken and contrite heart. This is all I have to give you, my brokenness. And it says that the Lord will not despise that. He will not look with contempt on a heart that comes in its brokenness. In fact, he will put that heart back together again. God won't waste our flaws. God won't waste our mistakes. If we will let him, if we will go to him, he will, he will put us back together with all your cracks and scars showing for the world to see, for his namesake, for his glory. It's a testimony to his work. It's a testimony to his greatness, his unfailing love in spite of us. Ha! In spite of us, God loves us. In spite of us, he wants to put us back together again. In spite of us, he wants us to make kingdom consequences in this world. There's, there's a lot more in this, um, in this story. I was supposed to go through uh, chapter 16, verse 10, but I just couldn't get past this truth of who we are and who, who God is. I think it's just way too important to just move on with, with the the story. Contempt for yourself will keep you from entering into the fullness of kingdom living. And so many of you have a contempt for yourself. You're not good enough. You don't know enough. You're too old. You're not old enough. Whatever it is, contempt for yourself will keep you from living in the fullness of God's kingdom. Paul and Barnabas, uh, the ministry together was over. They, um, they were angry with each other and left angry with each other. And yet God would redeem it for good. See, your sin is not too big for God to not only forgive and not only to redeem, dare I say your sin is not too big for God to continue to use you to become an influencer for his kingdom. If you would turn to him, run toward him, not away from him, seek his, his face, understand who you are, who he is, and what he wants to do with your life, that you would be a kingdom influencer. No matter what, no sin, no flaw, no weakness, no brokenness is too big for God to put back together again. See, whatever you do for the kingdom, whether it's what the world would consider huge, like uh, Billy Graham and, and millions of people that he, he preached to, or, or just, just what the world would see as just a little tiny mark. Kingdom consequence is huge, no matter what. Do you know that Jesus said that when one person repents, 
all heaven erupts with a parte and the angels rejoice. One person, one person, one insignificance, no one would really know person. All of heaven erupts with joy. Nothing is too big for God to forgive. Nothing is too big for him to redeem. Nothing is considered too small for his kingdom. I hope you're hearing this because some of you really need to hear this. Some of you have disqualified yourself. Some of you have thrown in the towel and said, I'm just gonna kind of do church. Hopefully I can sneak into heaven. Some of you have way, you have contempt for yourself. I believe the Bible talks about something about no condemnation for those in Jesus. Huh. So it's almost arrogant that we would condemn ourselves if the, if the, the, the God of the universe doesn't condemn us because of Christ. Some of you, all you have to do is repent. Just turn away from that, that stuff. For some, man, you've been running from God way too long. It's time to run toward him. He's waiting. Arms open, ready to put you back together with, with gold. Ready to make something even more beautiful than what it used to be. We have a God of, of redemption. We have a God of grace. We have a God of forgiveness. And so we have some people that, that pray up here um, after the service. If God's speaking to you, will you just get over yourself? I mean that with all love. And come, be prayed for. Be healed. Receive forgiveness. Receive anointing. Receive encouragement. Take the first step of getting back on track. It's God's desire that he will use you for his kingdom. Each and every one of us, God has a plan. It's an amazing plan. Is it easy? Nope. Is it always fun? Nope. But it's always worth it. It's always worth it. And so, Father, I ask that you would continue to work in the hearts of your church, that you would release this, um, this darkness that's in us, that you would release uh, the spirit, that you would release light into each one of us, that we would get a better picture of who we are in your kingdom, of what you've called us to do in your kingdom, that we would understand forgiveness even more, that we would be empowered to, uh, to sin no more. That we would allow you to put us back together again and get us back in the game for your name, for your glory. In the name of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.